I took the bus in this morning. I think I told you. Uh, yeah. I was trying to, trying to get in before we start recording. and uh, The college kids were uh, changing your travel plan. <laughs> well, there were still a lot of college kids on the bus. I'm going to start driving next week or whenever we get back from Toronto. <laughs> so I said this before, Strathcona County Transit is pretty awesome. Like having this, uh, this direct um, express route from Sherwood Park to downtown. Mm-hmm. This morning, I don't think I could have driven faster than this bus. And the bus made stops. Uh, this guy, this bus driver, <laughs> I've never seen someone drive a double-decker bus like this. I mean, well above the speed limit most of the way when there was room. Yeah. There's two construction zones on the way, including a dreaded uh, zipper merge area or an area where people should zipper merge. Yeah. And he made it through these areas and, and with a couple of stops on the way in 20 minutes, short park down to downtown. I, I cannot drive wow. that fast. And there's no dedicated bus lanes either on that route, right? No dedicated bus lanes. It's interesting, you know, getting back to my uh, zipper merge um, tirade from episode one. <laughs> Way back at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. The bus drivers, I, I really appreciate the bus drivers actually intend to do a proper zipper merge every time. They know how to drive. Uh, this time, though, this morning, it's funny. He was intending to stay in the lane and go until the merge point, you know, when mm-hmm. the right lane ends. But people in the left lane were already making room for the bus out of courtesy. Mm-hmm. So he ended up going a little bit earlier, but um, there was another day at the same spot where um, the bus driver actually uh, did the proper zipper merge. And of course, if a bus can always get get there right away, people are always courteous to the bus. There's also a construction yeah. zone right before Low Level Bridge where it's down to one lane and it's a nonstop bumper to bumper traffic. If I was in my car, they probably would not have let me in. But the bus, there was a nice courteous driver who mm-hmm. waved the bus in. And you know, I, I want to say this too: the bus, even before I was riding a bus. If you're a driver on the roads and there's a bus trying to get into a lane, always give right away. There's there's dozens of people on that bus that also need to get somewhere. If, if you're inconveniencing yourself by a few seconds, uh, do it so that those people on the bus can at, at least be, you know, getting to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. PSA. You know, from Marcus. the greater, for the greater hole. <laughs> yeah. Hi, you're listening to the Justin Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We're two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta who finish off our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss what's on our minds. Any charts or links that we refer to, as well as an archive of past podcasts, can be found on muse.ca slash podcast. Please enjoy our largely unedited and unfiltered discussion for the week. Thanks, Justin. So yeah, this week we talk about, first off, some Alberta economics uh, in regard to the talk about Alberta taking over the entire Canada pension plan. We'll see about that. And, uh, and then a little bit about my, uh, my recent conference, the um, Institute for Advanced Financial Planners. And uh, then I guess we talk a little bit about video games, eh? So it's towards the end of September right now. And of course, there's no, no lack of news out there. Uh, you were also, uh, again, last week at a, at a financial planning conference, this time uh, Canadian focused a little bit more. Um, so I'm curious to see uh, how that went. But uh, the news fairy came out and uh, gave all of Canada something to, to speak a little bit about on, on an Alberta sort of uh, centric viewpoint. And uh, so, yes, I, I feel like uh, there's something that we're probably going to have to talk a little bit about. Uh, but first, leading into that, do you know what the population is of Alberta these days? Four and a half million? Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, it's over the three million I used to think about when I was a little bit younger. So we're at 4.7. Oh, yeah. We're at 4.7. 4. 4. Wow. Stats Canada released, released uh, numbers today. And they said at the midpoint of the year, July, 30, uh, July 1st, uh, 2023, an estimated 4.7 million people um, uh, live in Alberta. 
It surprises people, actually. I was talking to my Uber driver in L.A. last week or two weeks ago, and, you know, he had no idea what Alberta even was. We you know, had a conversation <laughs> about a, a number of things. And he asked, you know, what is the population of this place, Alberta? And I said, four and a half million. I said, wow, that's actually pretty significant. Uh, my uh, European uh, relatives, too, uh, you know, they, they come here, they see the Rockies, they see mostly open, wide open areas compared yes. to where they're from, and they're surprised that there's, you know, millions of people living here, four and a half million. I mean, we could be a country by ourselves. That's, that's getting into a tangent, but... Uh, <laughs> a smallish country, not the smallest country, but a, a smaller country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, 4.1% higher year-over-year population. So that's about 184, 185,000 uh, new residents. Of that 185,000 people, um, how many do you think were born here? Newborn Alberta. Oh, well, that stat, as long as I've known it, the stat of people born in Alberta is like 50% of the population. Maybe that's even come down since I last heard that stat. So in the past year, 8% of that total increase was actually newborns. Oh, so, so you're talking about the increase. I'm talking about the overall population. Sorry, of Alberta. Yes. The overall population of Alberta yeah. is 50% born here or less. Mm-hmm. Lots of people moved here from other other places. Yeah, so you're going to see these numbers, like just to that point, people coming from elsewhere. So of that 184, 85,000 uh, new residents of Alberta, 8% of them were born, newborns. Okay. Net mm-hmm. interprovincial migration, this little conversation that we've heard about, talked about, addressed over the, over the last year in terms of, you know, Alberta promoting itself in, in downtown Toronto and, and putting it billboard ads and ads in the subway, the TTC and everything. Um, how many of those people do you think came from other provinces? We're not talking about like they're born and raised, but it's like from other mm-hmm. provinces. I mean, I, I didn't look at the stats, but I would guess yeah. half, maybe half are from other provinces, half are from overseas. About a third. So 31% of it mm-hmm. came from people from other provinces, right? Not mm-hmm. talking about where they were before that, that were born, right? But like um, 56,000 people came from another province. And then, so Meaning, the, the vast majority, 61% or 113,000 people came from overseas. They're straight from mm-hmm. overseas, straight to Alberta. And those are people who maybe a few years ago might have settled in Toronto or Vancouver, but found Initially, it too expensive yeah. there, yeah. so they came here. Yeah. So I see it, me personally, I still feel that that interprovincial migration number, that 30%, I think the vast majority, my own opinion, right? I need to substantiate this in some form. But I, I like the, the vast majority, I think the majority of that number actually were people from another country, like you said, used Toronto or Vancouver as a landing point, maybe in Montreal as well, and then subsequently moved from there to Alberta, right? I have my doubts that uh, the 56,000 people that came from another province all grew, were born and raised in Toronto, for example, right? Yeah. I, I, and so I like feel that. like people who, yeah, you started Toronto as a stand, starting point, for example, and then after a year or two, call it of, you know, realizing they can, you know, afford the place or what have you, or maybe they, that, that was just the easiest place if you're French speaking, perhaps, to land, or, you know, New Brunswick was giving somebody from Asia a, 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 an easier way to get in versus, say, Quebec or Toronto, right? Then blah, blah, blah. Or they got a first job there and then they're moving out afterwards, right? But I feel like that the, the vast majority of these people are coming in from um, recently or immediately from overseas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that number, I mean, it's new immigrants, it's some of it's refugees, some of, it's, uh, some of it is also uh, uh, a lot of it like non-permanent residents, the international students, uh, um, the temporary workers, things of that nature as well, right? Um, but this is all kind of fueling, you know, local housing markets, of course, right? It's, lo- uh, it's fueling uh, or, you know, um, employment numbers or I- impacting the local employment numbers. Uh, we haven't really seen unemployment really increase too much, right? Um, there seems to be lots of jobs out there. Jobs are getting filled. People are looking for positions to be filled, employers um, and such. So 
I, if this trend continues for the next little while, I mean, we're going to be adding another 200,000 people next year, potentially. And so the questions lie, where are they going to live? How are they going to, are, what's the affordability going to be? Are there going to be appropriate jobs and employment for them? Are there going to be spaces in the educational system for them? Um, the schools, are they bringing children? You know, some kids, some schools are, are packed to the gills, right? And, and some are empty, right? Depending on what part of the town you live in. So a lot of, you know, ancillary, secondary mm-hmm. sort of impacts that are coming in, but, uh, um, I'd be curious to see whether they're landing a little bit more in Edmonton versus Calgary versus rural Alberta uh, as well, right? But uh, I, I would like to think that it's probably mostly the, the urban cities, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, um, immigration last year, I think, was some kind of a record for Canada, right? It's like, didn't we add a million people where most were, where most were from through immigration? Um, Canadian population I think the magnitude is appropriately there, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, mm-hmm. I think that sentiment has been uh, agreed upon, yeah. And there's a lot of debate about whether this is causing a lot of the uh, the issues around housing, especially in those bigger cities where it's it's very difficult for people to find housing because, you know, you have an, an organic need for housing as as younger people form families and need to need to find a place to live, and you've got all these people coming in from other parts of the world, um, trying to and, and they try to find out Alberta. I mean, I I think that trend's going to continue because Alberta is the only place in Canada with urban cities that is able to absorb that population especially coming from overseas, right? I mean, I think you're going to find it more and more. A lot of people want to come to Canada. We're the greatest country in the world. And a lot of people come from places that are less, less great. Um, I, I hope that's not offensive to anybody, but... Uh, <laughs> well, I remember, I remember Bill Smith, the old mayor, the former mayor of Edmonton, said, the greatest city and the greatest province and the greatest country in the world or something of that nature, <laughs> right? I remember him always tying things off. It is. I mean, let's face the reality. In a lot of, a lot of parts of the world, there's just not as much opportunity. There's you know, more autocratic governments and so on and so on. And these people come here to live the, the, the Canadian dream. And uh, Toronto, the Toronto area seems to be full. I was looking at some real estate numbers yesterday. And um, one thing I was looking at, you know, probably a year or two ago was if you're looking for a detached house in Edmonton, the, the greater Edmonton area, detached house, look on realtor.ca, put the filter in as uh, three bedroom detached, two bathroom plus. Um, and I look at the overall area and, and maximum 500,000. You used, used to come up with like 5,000 results. Now it's a little over a thousand, which is still pretty amazing. I show this. I showed this to some friends in Toronto. I ran the same filter for the GTA, and it came up with seventeen results. That's probably more than I was going to guess. I was going to almost guess zero, but that's pretty darn close. Yeah, to and zero. it's they. They did not look. Uh, they did not look enticing, anyways. They're probably teardowns. But yeah. uh, uh-huh. so, so I mean, what I'm saying is, Edmonton is still a great area to absorb a lot of population growth. Um, uh-huh. You know, people who want to come here, but it is getting a little bit more difficult, and, and housing prices are getting tighter here, and. You know, we're seeing that in our own home valuations. Uh, so one of my um, my my sons uh, in his classroom, he he uh, befriended um, some friend new friends. They were actually uh, a family from the Ukraine, and they come to Canada. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, and uh, they actually this year went to a different school. To I moved to a different part of town, and, and part of it was because of the local um, the re- relative affordability of something that was a bit more in Calgary suburbs versus Calgary inner city. And so already, you know, these, there's some decisions that are being, you know, even within that microcosm of Calgary, right, that there's pockets where like, oh, you know, it's not as affordable as it may be. And now they've decided to move further away, you know, out to the outskirts. And, and you know, there's pros and cons to all of that. But that was a decision that family made. And so my, now my son has a, a friend that or yeah, it's going to be very hard to kind of bump into them on a regular basis, uh, you know, put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, relatively speaking, you talked about, um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, right now a better place to live or a safer place to live than where they were previously 
right? And then also yep. why they chose to choose, you know, uh, you know, uh, Alberta in general, you know, whether it's the Ukrainian kind of diaspora or the concentration of Eastern Europeans in, in, in our province, right, in, in, in the prairies, relative to say Toronto and, and, and Vancouver, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some trends along those lines, right, as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you did the same filter for Calgary, for example, I don't know if you did, uh, but I suspect that um, it may, may not be a thousand, uh, there might be in the hundreds, um, yeah, because it'd be fewer lot, for sure. Yeah, and, and I feel like the average me- or the average or the median, one of the two, uh, numbers for a detached house in Calgary uh, in the summer was uh, somewhere around seven hundred thousand dollars. I think it's about two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars more uh, than the um, than the comparable home in Edmonton. So that's quite the discrepancy for three hours, right? I mean, and and that in itself yeah. is a big discrepancy relative to the GTA or or GBRD, right? So. One thing with with both our cities, there is there is and there there's always been a lot of demand for that detached house, and it's just kind of the way we're I guess we've become accustomed to living here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we grew up in detached houses. We're not you know super super urban where apartment living is really the norm. If you want to buy an apartment condo mm-hmm. in Edmonton, they're they're super cheap still, and there's lots of them available. Uh, but the the tendency is because we have a roughly young millennialish aged um, demographic. I mean, our, our average age in Alberta is significantly younger than the rest of Canada. Mm-hmm. So we're Canada, I think is 42 or so. And I think Alberta's still in the high thirties for average age, lots of families, lots of people making decent money who can afford a house. And that's why there's so much demand for these houses and lots of demand for, for condos. I think we talked about that a few episodes ago, right? Mm-hmm. With our uh, condominium horror stories. But <laughs> on a condo, there's, there's plenty available. There's plenty available. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Anyways, there's another reason why we might see more influx of population into Alberta is we might have uh, uh, pension plan refugees from the rest of Canada after Alberta. <laughs> after Alberta oh, takes all the assets from CPP and creates the Alberta pension plan in 2027 or so. This is all. Any yeah, thoughts so, on that? Oh, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, the lane, I, I actually just kind of ask around, are people actually talking about it? I think peripherally, they see the headline and they heard the news, right? Uh, but then almost to 100% to a T, um, everybody's like, what the hell are they thinking? Like, that's literally the reaction I, I get from um, everybody. It's like, why are they doing this? And like, what, <laughs> right? And then, you know, the, and, and the numbers are entirely debatable and they were pulled out of the air and you're gonna have one person say one thing and then you're gonna have another person say another. You're gonna say the, C- the CPP itself is gonna say one thing, the federal government's gonna say another. All the other provinces are saying something else too, right? And and so the simple math or the simple math for to start off with this is that, What's the percentage of the population in Canada? You talk about uh, we ha- us having a younger population in general uh, in, in Alberta relative to the rest of the country, but Alberta itself with its 4.7 million people versus you know the 40 plus million that are across the country, right? The, the first easy place, the comparison say, for a, a, a study to say that Alberta deserves um, more than half of the assets of the Canadian pension plan when they have a, a mid-teen sort of percentage of the overall population and it's never really deviated a whole lot from the past, probably was even smaller previously is that you know it's already like you know the the gut the, the initial test is like it, it's it doesn't seem quite right and i don't want to we i don't think yeah. you and i want to get into the, the nitty-gritty these uh today about it um but um you know i think it's a lot of rabble rousing for in fact it's posturing from both sides um you know it's originating from here and within alberta uh, it may have to do some more with some political stuff and and, and you know throwing a boat out to people who were supportive of this sort of theory or this intention um but I, you know, it's an idea. I mean, we we talked about it many many episodes ago that they're thinking about doing this, to having a study. Honestly, I don't think it's actually gonna, probably going to happen at this point in time. And if it does happen, a real study, 
Yeah, a real, real yeah, study. A real study, not these these things that have come yeah. out just recently. Yeah. I mean, but, you're saying population-wise, we're 12% of the population of Canada. Yeah. And, I mean, the benefits of... The benefits cited about us taking over CPP is that in the long term, because of this younger population, we benefit more because you've got more contributors, mm -hmm. less takers. Mm -hmm. And if we simply took 12% of CPP's assets and went our own way from there, we're, in a, you know, we, we theoretically are in a better situation than than otherwise. But uh, the crazy thing with uh, with these quote unquote studies that they or whatever they've done to sort of come up with these numbers, where I think one said Alberta should get 53% of the assets of CPP of the 600 mm -hmm. billion or so. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another calculation where it's like 113%. I don't know what. what oh, what so there. I think the idea there intention is that if, if using the same assumptions as this uh, study was utilized, that the Alberta government, um, uh, like or yeah, uh, had had sort of uh, uh, requested for, if the same math was done and applied to Ontario and to BC. Quebec is not part of the CPP. They've got their own QPP, right? But so then mm -hmm. the two other largest populations oh, right. in, in BC and, and Ontario is that if everyone took their claim using the same math, they'd be, we'd be claiming 120 or 110 percent of the overall assets. So, you know, it's where we're, everyone's, it, it would not be feasible. It would not be mm -hmm. uh, able to be done in, in that sense. So <clears throat> I think that's the number that you'd seen that was over 100 percent. Yeah. So just to the math again, we're 14% of the non-Quebec population of Canada. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I, I think a lot of those, the math there has more to do with contributions. So yeah, you look historically at contributions by Albertans to the CPP, um, they're quite high. And if we're saying, yeah, we should, we deserve all that. I think you're kind of forgetting how a, how a defined benefit pension plan really works. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with Alberta getting whole CPP. You guys can start. You guys can start over, uh, or move to, move to move to Alberta, and and then you'll. Or what happens if you know we take over the CPP? You know, we take over all the assets as one of the one of the calculations. Is. We take that over in 2027. But you guys, you can move here to Alberta. Again, a nice house. You know, close to downtown. You can move here, and um, if you move here in 2025, do you still get a pension plan? <laughs> Do you still get yeah. your CPP entitlements as part of the Alberta Pension Plan? Oh, the, the, the details of this is, I mean, it's Quebec all over again <laughs> in, in that way, and then some, right? So people move all around all the time, right? Are, are people going to be living half the year in, in Alberta and half the year in BC, or or as an example, right? Or uh, the residency issue, you know, expectation? Like, this is just barely scratching the surface of all the implications yeah, that that's... would happen, right? So you're increasing the risk. So. Mm -hmm. It's something. Uh, I don't know any final thoughts on that for today on it, but um, I just think it's a, it's very much a you know it's a posturing thing at the moment. Um, we'll see if it actually comes to a, a tr a re an actual referendum or real real studies uh, involved by every you know with all the major participants involved in it. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. Yeah, <clears throat> but the funny you think about you know pension. We talked about Alberta with like a just under five million, four and a half odd million sort of population. Um, you know the. And pension plans and 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 uh, national sovereign wealth funds and things of that nature. So another thing that sort of came up, you know, and you know, somewhat tangentially to this topic is that uh, you know people always like to go back to maybe the uh, Alaskan, you know, the the Alberta Heritage Fund or the Alaska Endowment Fund for the citizens, and then ultimately to the gold standard or what is considered the gold standard is the Norway uh, sovereign wealth fund. And so Norway, you know, has about five and a half million people in the whole country. Um, Norway is also historically large and currently still largely based off of uh, hydrocarbon, you know, economy. Not that different from Alberta in some times of size and you know economy and things of that nature. So, of course, I want to ask you: Do you have an idea currently what the the value of the uh, Norway's sovereign wealth fund is? 
So I'm going to give a bit of a dumb answer to that question. Uh, so Alberta's Heritage Fund was started when in the, in the 1970s, right, by yeah. the Lougheed government? Norway started theirs uh, in 1963. They called it like about a decade earlier. Okay, decade earlier. And so uh, ours we built to, is it still like $20 billion or a little bit less than $20 billion? Uh, It's been rated here and there, and then they use it for... Probably in that, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to guess if Norway had an extra 10 years and ours is $20 billion, they must be at $30 billion. Again, dumb answer question. Okay. Dumb answer to the question because I know it's a lot higher. What's the answer? <laughs> okay, so actually, I need to qualify my comment previously. Norway declared sovereignty over the kind of the North Sea continental shelf, which allowed them to then exploit and benefit from the mm-hmm. hydrocarbons found in that area. The petroleum fund, uh, the government petroleum fund, actually wasn't really fully established until the 1990s. So wow, 1990s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so 1996, apparently, the first money was sent to the petroleum fund. Um, and then the so government when it significantly started. With, yeah, with significantly started was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're in our lifetime, yours and my lifetime, right? We were teenagers at that time. Um, so we're, we're talking, what, 30 years approximately, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 1.4 trillion. <laughs> $1.4 trillion. They just, sh- you know, mm-hmm. just shelved all this money or just hi- moved it all over, you know, hydrocarbon, you know, I'm sure they had some for general government uh, expenses and whatnot, right? But a substantial majority of it was sent over to this fund. So for a, a, a country that has, you know, what, less than a percentage of the world's population, something like that, right? 10%, 0.1%, they in effect own 1.5% of the entire global stock market. Just the numbers yeah, are staggering. That sounds right. right? Yep. I hate to make it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but in, you know, hydrocarbon economy, Population's been kind of around the same size, roughly. Right? Um, intentions were there with the Heritage Fund, or you know, and then also with this the Norway thing. Just that Norway just seemingly came up with a very, I mean, very different result. I mean, they get it, and I think Lougheed got it back when when the uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when the Heritage when Fund started. Yeah. And we, as as retirement planners, get it that Alberta needs any 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 economy that's largely dependent on on uh, petroleum needs mm-hmm. a retirement plan. Because that's not going to be an energy source forever. You know, mm-hmm. there's debates on whether, you know, whether it's like 20 years from now, we'll be mostly off of hydrocarbons or 50 years from now. But eventually it'll happen. And we don't have a retirement plan. Or at least we started one with, with good intentions. You know, having a certain amount of uh, royalty revenue go into it. Uh, you know, regularly having money going into the plan would have done wonders for the Alberta Heritage Fund. Compounding the growth. Instead, what's happened is we stopped putting money into it. We didn't even let, we don't even let the, the growth compound. We use it for general revenues. Yeah. And I mean, as a result, I think Albertans have a lower tax rate than Norwegians. But we still, what's going to happen when hydrocarbons aren't a thing? I mean, Norway's thinking about it. Saudi Arabia's thinking about it. Uh, you yeah. know, they're 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 making major investments in all sorts of other things to diversify their economy. Uh, why aren't we thinking about? It? I mean, yes, maybe we're not quite as hugely dependent on on hydrocarbons as Saudi Arabia is. Um, but there is still going to be a gap in our economy at some point in the future. And it'd be nice if we had a big savings plan that can either be, you know, possibly used to invest in, in, in something else in our economy or just subsidizing our our, our, our coffers, you know, down the road. Mm-hmm. Like our government's not going to be getting these billions of dollars of, of, of royalty revenue at some point. Or they shouldn't expect it. I think the planning yeah. is that it's such variable. It changes so often even within our lifetimes, even within the last decade, it, it's hard to expect or to placehold, oh, we're expecting X amount of revenue uh, from this, mm-hmm. you know, from this source and then budget or plan to spend based off of that. And it'll swing, 
right? And and so maybe part of my somewhat cynicism behind the whole Alberta pension plan conversation is that I suppose the last 30, 40, uh, 50 years, right, um, has been any has been a good amount of time to use as a bit of an example is that I can't expect too much from any administration, uh, provincial administration to to decide and, and I'm not knocking IMCO, right? Or I'm knocking, you know, knocking, you know, the people that are there and, and, and whatnot, but like it's all someone connect and then they, they get enough, you know, political pressure or administrative pressure uh, to make decisions uh, differently or or whatnot that um, it just uh, Yes, the last half century has not made for a good case study to say we're going to go on our own, right? And, and we're going to manage everything, or we're going to have our own police force, we're going to have our own pension plan, we're going to have our, you know, our own, you know, future um, everything, right? Um, financially, because we just continue mm -hmm. to, to your point, um, rely on variable revenue. And had we been a little bit more thoughtful, or, or administration been a little bit more thoughtful. Maybe we didn't have a $1.4 trillion fund, but maybe it was, you know, more than 20 billion, right? Call it a hundred billion, call it half, you know, 200 billion, right? Um, then there would have been some to say, hey, you know what? We can plan this. We have been planning. We have been executing something like this for the greater multi-generational sort of viewpoint, as opposed to just the next three or four year cycle, right? So anyway, so that's my little take on back going back to the mm -hmm. pension plan and using Norway again somewhat as an example for 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 us <laughs> for us in Alberta. I'm sure the other people in other provinces are, are rightly outraged by this uh, or, or some of this conversation or just maybe do this like roll their eyes and think oh yeah it's that loud bratty kid brother cousin what have you, <laughs> in the uh, over there or the the uncle that's you know always the loud guy at the family reunion right but um, <laughs> that's Alberta yeah, <laughs> yeah. so but yeah um, I, I, I feel like uh, this, the demographics are I think are, are certainly in, in Alberta's favor if the last year in our indication, the, the, uh, the, uh, the economy or the relative affordability, living costs are still sort of uh, in, in, in Alberta's boat as well. But I'm, I'm, well, I guess we'll have to see how we manage this, right? Another 200,000 people coming to this province next year, if, if things continue, how are we gonna, how are we gonna manage this? In, in one year's time, are you, you and I gonna be talking about how like average house prices is another $100,000 up in each city and there's a housing crisis, uh, you know, there are seeds that are being planted right now already for it. Um, I don't want to feel like we're going to be in a position where the unaffordability conversation is as loud as it is in, in Vancouver, Toronto. Mm -hmm. Hate to pick on those two cities, I, but they're the classic example. Yeah. Right? So. That kind of actually leads into, well into uh, a couple of presentations I saw at the um, IAFP symposium I intended last week. And, and please explain uh, what that acronym stands what, for. What that is, okay. <laughs> and, so, and then also, because this is where you were uh, or attending for the majority of, of last week, right? And, and yeah, it was actually Wednesday to Saturday, so pretty long, pretty long conference. I mean, uh, Future Proof the week before was really just Monday evening, uh, or sorry, Sunday evening, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning. But, um, so yeah, IAFP, the Institute for Advanced Financial Planners. I, I'm an outsider. I'm not a, not a member at this point yet. Um, I've always known they existed, and I always used to get their emails in my inbox, come to the symposium in wherever. I think, you know, I'm not going to travel all that way for uh, this year <laughs> a just conference about financial planning. Yeah, yeah this, this year it was in Edmonton, which is nice and convenient. And a lot of my contacts, um, a lot of the financial Twitter contacts I know uh, were attending, so I thought I'd go and sort of see what this is all about. Um, the IAFP, so again, I've always known they existed. I've always known about the RFP, the Registered Financial Planner designation. 
uh, back when I got my CFP, Certified Financial Planner designation, in um, it was 2009, I knew there was this other designation out there, and I kind of thought there's, there's not many people with those letters after their names. Uh, the CFP is probably more recognizable. But learning more about it, the uh, the RFPs kind of, and this is the way they kind of position it to me too, talking with some of them at the, at the conference, it's kind of an upgrade to the CFP. So you have to have your CFP as a prerequisite uh, to to join uh, their association and then complete a uh, complete an exam or two, I'm not really sure yet, uh, as well as submit some actual financial plans for review. And yeah, so they are they do consider themselves the, um, the, the best financial planners in Canada. And I mean, they, they very much proved to be very smart people. Uh, the uh, symposium very much uh, financial planning topics Canadian as opposed to future proof, which was, you know, all over the place with uh, uh, all sorts of things, a lot of American topics and uh, technology and practice management. The, uh, the symposiums, they, they always seem to have a theme to them. So this one had a Big Bang Theory theme. So uh, they, they took the, the characters out of the Big Bang Theory. They created oh. a case study out of them. Uh, so the case, and the case study was something that was talked about through various presentations as well through discussions of the case study. Nerds talking about nerds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very advanced case study where, um, I guess, uh, Sheldon and Amy from, from the Big Bang Theory, if anyone doesn't know these characters, you can tune yeah. out right now. But Sheldon and Amy moved to Canada. They still had their connections in the U.S., all their friends living in the U.S. Uh, they were still involved with some corporations in the U.S. Uh, Amy was getting consulting revenue. So it was a very complex case study, a cross-border case study as well. The fact that they had a kid, sorry, young Leonard was the name of, of their kid, uh, who, of course, you know, they, they when they wrote their wills, they were still in the U.S. and their their closest friends are all Americans. So what happens if one of them, if they both die, who takes care of young young Leonard? Uh, so, so anyways, it went into, uh, it got pretty complex. But a lot of good presentations, some some um, promotional, some sponsors, but also in that case, there were a few good ones. This is what I wanted to kind of bleed into on mm-hmm. Alberta, the Alberta economy as well as the Canadian economy. A uh, good presentation put on by Fidelity, uh, one of their sort of one of their guys that sort of does the macroeconomic uh, prognosis or whatever, talking about the Canadian economy. And this is a theme that Fidelity's been on for a number of years now, that the Canadian economy has it's it, it's struggling in terms of productivity. Uh, government is becoming too large. Um, and largely what's, dr- what's the driver of the Canadian economy is government largesse as well as the real estate economy, uh, as opposed to manufacturing and exporting, which traditionally has been the driver of the Canadian economy. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have had a, an opinion on the Canadian dollar that it's still overvalued relative to the U.S. dollar, that it still needs to come down some more. Eventually that will help stimulate exports for Canada mm-hmm. and stimulate mm-hmm. the manufacturing economy as costs go lower here with a lower Canadian dollar. But for now... Uh, things are not looking good, and those those um, that sentiment was also echoed by some presenters. A presenter from Canadian Western Bank, uh, similarly talking about. I won't go into all the details. I didn't. I don't really have all the notes from that presentation, but mm-hmm. uh, similarly talking about how what, what, what Canada really needs to kickstart the economy is a big investment into AI. Uh, AI, which can help our productivity. We need to be open to that. That yes, AI will take jobs, but what that means is we can do more with less. And right now, Canada does not do enough with its population productivity sort of GDP divided by population is not is not very strong right now for Canada do you, did they make a comment about how what, why they chose they said AI as an example is that because there's a you know is it's the you know it's the flavor of the, of the year um, or is it because there's actual 
tangible opportunity or it's still nascent enough that Canada can have an, an, an impact and we're not too far behind from other players in, in the United States or in China or elsewhere? Or is it just kind of just tech in general or, or you know, not tech, but other industries in general? AI is a flavor of the year, it seems like, but it is also a greater long-term trend that it, it will, like I said, allow us to do more with less and we have to be very open to that. I mean, we're, we're a country where it seems like anytime there's some kind of, uh, you know, let's say we're a very union-centric country, there's a lot of unionized labor in Canada and various different industries, and often there's a lot of resistance to efficiency as a result. I and mean, I think back to uh, when they started int- introducing um, those mailboxes in neighborhoods, you know, the, the communal mailboxes. I and love the, the big uproar. I mean, they're great. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really, they're great for, for postal workers because then they only, they don't have to walk up. Everybody's walked delivering mail. Mm-hmm. Um, they can just put it all in the box. And yes, sometimes they, they miss, they miss mail stuff, but yeah. that has created a ton of efficiency in the postal service and probably has reduced the number of jobs, but it has allowed them to do more with less. And of course you remember, if you think back to 2015 ish, when those were being introduced, there was a lot of uproar from the postal union about that. No, I don't know if it was a postal union so much as it was the neighbors or the people who were complaining that, you know, Mrs. Smith down the street couldn't walk down half a block in the wintertime to get yeah, out. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> but again, this is kind of getting onto a tangent. I'm kind of just making an example of okay. this is the way where we're resistant to potential change that makes things more efficient. Um, another example, you know, and this is outside of Canada, but you look at the um, the current ongoing and possibly ending um, SAG, uh, what's the whole acronym? The, yes, the screen, a- screen Actors Guild and, and writers, mm-hmm. um, they're protesting, obviously, what they are. I'm not sure what it's all about, but there were some issues where how um, there's a new a new series from Marvel where they needed to do an intro f- to the to the show, but the strike was already on, so they got AI to do it. The whole introduction to the show, the whole all the graphics and possibly the music too, are all AI generated, and there was an uproar about this that they were getting AI to do the job of people, mm. and well, why shouldn't AI do this if it can, if it can do it? it? You know, it frees up people to do other things, be more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. But again, there's this whole mentality around we don't want efficiency, we want jobs. Getting back to Canada, we need to get past this mentality and we need to recognize that AI can really help supplement what we're doing. And now getting back to the discussion about IFP, there was, there was some discussion about AI as well. A really great presentation put on by Jason Pereira, who is, he also does a podcast on fintech He's very much in tune with this stuff, and he utilizes a lot of AI in his in his practice. He's a financial planner in, in Toronto, and uh, he he demonstrated some of the stuff that he's he's using. He did a really great presentation, lots of video, and uh, some of the things like something basic like what I've already used is ChatGPT to help in responding to client emails um, or to to send out emails, and uh, he's, he's shown ways to integrate that with his email program. Or integrate it with the spreadsheet so that he could, you know, pull up a as an example in a spreadsheet. He wants to show the Canadian tax rates, and he can get ChatGPT to look it up and, and populate the cells with it. Hmm. So just those types of efficiencies that just reduce the amount of labor of doing these things. Um, and there was other great examples, like really pertinent to our industry, such as when it comes to client re- client relationship management software. And this is an area where we can't really do much yet because we can't put our, our clients' information into ChatGPT or anything. Maybe this will come from companies like Salesforce down the road where you basically have the client fill out, fill out some information, scan it in, put it into the system. The system you know, gathers it all, puts the information into all the right places, and then you just ask the CRM, what is, Ms., what is Mrs. Smith's, uh, what are, what are the, the Smith's daughter's names? And it will tell you. Um, what is their expenditures? How much do they spend a year? It'll tell you. You don't have to look up this information, but it's all just, it just tells you. Mm-hmm. 
And, and of course, the other thing you demonstrated to uh, Conquest, which we talked about during my, uh, my, my visit to Future Proof, which we probably will get a demo on next week when we're in Toronto, because I understand they're doing a demo, mm. um, the whole uh, the AI component of that. So he demonstrated the uh, SAM, the Strategic Advice Manager, how it's able to actually do a lot of the financial planning work uh, for us, where you know the client's information is just put in, the client's preferences are put in, and SAM comes up with the recommendations on how to meet their retirement goal. So he did a demo of that, and, and that kind of also bleeds into what a lot of the rest of the conference was about. There were a lot of good presentations on just more soft issues. Again, financial planning is shifting with AI. It's shifting away from this world of, you know, how much do you need to retire? Um, how much how much do you need to spend when you retire? How much do you have now? Let's put some some numbers into the into the software. You know, beep boop beep boop, and here is your answer. How much you need to save? It's going way beyond that. One of the presenters was Dr. Megan Lertz, who was kind of one of the celebrity presenters from the U.S. at this conference. Uh, she's a professor at uh, Kansas State University, doctor, and also does work for Kitsies.com, which is a big practice management uh, concern in the U.S. Talking about psychology, a lot of psychology stuff, um, how to make review meetings fun, the types of questions to ask when we're having a review meeting with clients, which is not just, you know, update me with your address, update me with as mm. a change in your job, change in income. We got to have more uh, I guess just more EQ type conversation around mm-hmm. financial planning in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, another great presentation, I'm just going to summarize a few things, a few things top of mind here. Um, there was a great presentation done about advanced serious illness planning and the plan well guide. And if, I think there's a free version of this. I might put a link on our show notes. This was a really interesting presentation on uh, the discussion of um, sort of planning our incapacity and end of life decisions, which Oftentimes, our clients really just kind of do these as, you know, checking off some checkboxes when they go to a lawyer to do their will. Is yeah, you do your, your enduring power of attorney and your personal care directive or whatever it's called in various provinces. You just do that, but you don't really put a lot of thought and planning into it and really think about scenarios. And that's what's, what's a plan well guide fo- uh, focuses on, kind of having those discussions, having, uh, you know, having a lot of doing actual planning around it instead of just checking off the checkbox at the lawyer's office. So, uh, so yeah, again, that's kind of a summary of what it was all about. Really, really interesting topics, uh, really getting more into the nerdy nitty gritty of financial planning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. Uh, got to meet a lot of people that I've known online for quite a while. You probably saw me tweet some of those pictures. Uh, um, we were, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's hot a very sort of, whole, oh yeah, there was a hot sauce co- competition. So, um, this was something that was building up over a number of months, uh, came about due to, uh, I guess a post from Mark McGrath, who's with PWL Capital, about how he seems to like Tabasco for some reason. He thinks it's an actual hot sauce, and a lot of us are disagreeing with him. It's basically vinegar with, with flavoring. Um, and so they did a hot, a hot wings competition where they used, they did progressively hotter and hotter wings. At the end, they, bought, they ate some uh, chocolate chips from sort of a hot sauce challenge, mm-hmm. which I bought in some specialty store here in Edmonton, which are probably banned from just about every other store, which I heard can kill people. But anyways, they, they, they did this challenge and this was, um, very well watched. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so yeah, anyways, also just getting to see these people in person and, uh, yeah. You, you know, we've talked a little bit about conferences and, and the collective, the collection of just people and personalities and ideas. And, you know, again, you and I are going to be in Toronto next week. Um, I fully expect that we'll be recording something uh, in person, right, <laughs> in Toronto. Um, Maybe but, should we try? Yeah, I think we should try. We should definitely try. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> what what it'll what'll end up happening is uh, you 
not to get into the whole back, you know, back to the office sort of, or you know, discussions and whatnot, but it's starting to occur, right? And, I, and I've heard some announcements from uh, local companies um, that you know mandates are, are coming in, or, or it's been told that you're coming in five days a week. We want everybody to come mm-hmm. back together again. Um, not to stretch it, but like an example like that, where you have a collection of different people from across the country, different backgrounds, different viewpoints coming together. There, there is going to be always that human element uh, that I think is important. I think it's particularly important when you're constructing a portfolio, when you're constructing a financial plan. We will have tools. We will utilize things like AI uh, technology to get you know a lot of that nitty gritty calculations, important stuff, sort of key based stuff. But then that EQ, that emotional intelligence, or AI emotional intelligence, um, emotional quotient to understand, say, hey, this is. A person this is a family these are things that are, are yeah. always you know the important things are going to be that last um as i heard a portfolio manager yesterday say the last 20 yards right ai and tools like that are going to get us 80 yards down the field and now we're in the red zone or not and now it's it's for the human to be able to take that and and uh complete the complete the process so you know I think at the end of the day, you know, we as financial planners or advisors don't really need to worry about our jobs because AI is going to take that over. I think the end result is because we can do so much more with less in some shape or form, whether through advisors or through robo-advice type platforms, more Canadians will get good advice, I think, thanks to thanks to AI. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd really love to see, I mean, I, I, I with, with robo-advice, for example, you know, it's a good concept. It provides, robo-advice provides a service about as good as what the banks do, but at a lower cost to people. Potentially, they can offer something much better if they implement some kind of AI financial planning in, in, in there. And then for us, you know, maybe it'll allow us to, again, just have those better conversations. I just want to cap off with one other great presentation I saw at this conference was put on by Preet Banerjee, who flew mm-hmm. in from London to, uh, to present to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... Um, I'm surprised. Actually, there for, he was there for the whole conference, too, and, and watched the whole thing. Preet Banerjee, if you're not aware, he's been a... Sort of a, I mean, you know him, right? He's a yeah, he's a, a, he's a, a Canadian financial, Canadian, uh, um, uh, known quantity, no, unknown person. He's, yeah, he's... kind of a financial influencer for quite a while now. He had a podcast. He does really, mm-hmm. he has some really excellent YouTube videos. And I just want to say, we were talking about this too at the conference. Um, his YouTube is is horrendously undersubscribed. He does really incredible videos about some, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes disseminating some some topics that are in the news, and I don't think they get enough watches. Um, I'll maybe add a, a video to the show notes of his. But anyways, his presentation had to do with uh, really his, his doctoral dissertation, which he just got his doctorate, I guess, at um, was it Reading University, I think he was telling me. Okay. In London, in London, England, not London, Ontario. <laughs> and uh, on the, the, um, the topic really was the value of financial advice. And uh, he really did some extensive research into the type of advice that Canadians have access to, the results in terms of confidence and things like that. And, you know, something that really speaks to me is how Generally, it was found people working with independent financial advisors like you and I mm. um, have a higher confidence in their in their ability to be financially successful. And the other thing that really across the board creates better confidence is having a financial plan and a proper financial plan. So there, there's there's that. And there's the, of course he went into quite a bit of detail. I was looking online to see if there was if he had anything online, kind of going over the summary notes of his um, his dissertation. I did I couldn't find it. However, he did a really good interview on the Rational Reminder podcast a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think I'll put a link to that to sort of give, he gives a really good overview of what he was uh, studying and what his, what his outcomes were, and I think it'd be too much for me to replicate that, that from my scribbly, scribbly notes here on my notepad here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll definitely give that a watch. But yeah, I was, it was a really interesting conference, even though it was quite long. 
um, every day, getting there at 7 a.m. And we were usually out after, you know, after the conference we were doing dinner. We were out usually till 11 p.m. So very busy week last week. And the next week, yeah, we're going to Toronto. And we'll maybe do a report on what we learned there and what we saw there. I want to see how many Alberta advertisements there are still in the TTC, for example. But uh, no doubt I'm going to be asking, I'm going to ask every single person I speak to is like, what do you, would you consider moving to Alberta? I, I'm going to ask every <laughs> single person I meet from Toronto that question. And, and I want to take a ride like. on the, I want to take a ride on the TTC or whatever the transit is there. Uh, I think they have a subway too, right? That is generally the moniker for the subway. Yes. I mean, it's it supposed to include the streetcars and everything too, right? They have the streetcar street thing yeah. too. Yeah. But anyways, I want to take a ride and there's two things I want to test. One thing I learned about this conference, which was about a, I forget if, if Pre talks about it or if it was one of the other presenters talking about sort of a psychological test done in subways. If you go up, if you go up to a random person in a subway and just ask them, can I have that seat? <laughs> I think th- th- someone did a study and the odds are that person's going to get up and give you the seat, which is like, you know, if me, a healthy, healthy person just goes up to a random person, why would they give me that seat? And I think it just has to do with their inclination not to, um, not to want to have a confrontation. Mm-hmm. You know, who's this crazy person asking me for a seat? Mm-hmm. When he can just as well stand. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, that's one thing I want to try. And then, yeah, the other thing is we should ask people, would you move to Alberta? You're taking the subway. What is your commute time here in Toronto? You could be taking a 20-minute bus ride from the suburbs of Edmonton into downtown. Um, 10-minute bike ride and, this morning uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's there's reasonably affordable houses within that range. So, um, I will end off on uh, a, a sort of a, a lighthearted comment about the, the knowledge-based economy and whether it, this is actually true value add to society or not. Um, but I've never installed Candy Crush on my phone. Right. My, my son, actually, the oldest son, uh, he now has Roblox. He plays Roblox with his friends, and you're buying these cards so you can buy Robux. And so he's actually spent some real, real-world money on this game. And uh, of the uh, lighthearted or my distracting sort of things I have on my phone, I, I mainly just do crossword and word puzzles now. Uh, Wordle, New York Times crossword, things on nature, right? I've never paid a single dollar into mm-hmm. an app. Um to play a game, Pokemon Go as well, right, uh, when I played it. But uh, Candy Crush, it's been around for just over a decade now, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Again, here's, can you guess how much revenue Candy Crush has generated over the last decade, 11 years or so, since the game came out? It's some insane amount, probably more than Electronic Arts. Like, it probably <laughs> draws in a lot of revenue. So this thing that people play on the, on the, on the phone, in the bus... Mm-hmm. You know, whether commuting into downtown Edmonton or in Toronto or where have you, right? Or just killing time at the airport lobby, right? Um, Twenty billion dollars in revenue, USD, <laughs> right? This is this is, and it's a freemium model. It's free to download, right? But people yeah. have you know paid money to kind of skip levels and jump in advance quickly, and and you know there's advertising whatnot involved too, right? As well, right? But twenty billion dollars you know, for that game. And you know, we we we're old enough to have been witness to the, the various models that were tried when it comes to software game yeah. revenue, including shareware. If you remember yeah, back yeah, in the day, sure. you, know, free, you, yeah. you get the free disc to, uh, to doom one, yeah. and then uh, you have to pay money to play doom two and doom three. Um, <laughs> and you know, that worked wonders for, that worked wonders for them. Uh, this freemium model. I mean, it, it, I, I was once victim to this paying some money for something. It was a game way back in the day. I don't know if it's still around called Travian or Travian. Okay. It's from okay. Germany. You basically uh, you play uh, you you know you play a Roman fort, or Teutons, or mm-hmm. I forget who else. You, you basically can settle forts in your area, and then you fight other people online. Sure. And it's really very strategic. You build up your army, you send your army to battle, and hope yeah. to win, and then take over another fort. Mm-hmm. And if you you can play it for free, mm-hmm. but if you play for free, you're so hobbled, you don't you yeah. can't really compete. So you got to put some money into the game, and then uh, 
in, in order to, to really build up a proper army. And that's kind of how they get you. You, you. you can play it for free, get a taste for it, but then, uh, then yeah, you, uh, you have to put some money in if you want to actually compete at this game. And, I uh, think Candy Crush is still going to be around in 10 years, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's like, it's... it's but anyways, let's, uh, let's uh, call yeah. it there. So as, as Justin mentioned, next week we are in Toronto for our company conference. We'll try to record something. I don't know how we'll do that. I'm not bringing my microphone. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna check in baggage. <laughs> so uh, we'll try something. Um, see if we can record something. If not, I'll probably as a backup record another episode of financial advice for people in their 40s. Um, so you might you might hear that next week, um, or somewhere down the down the line. I'll record that this week before I go, and then we'll tell you about uh, what we learned in Toronto. I'm I'm looking very forward to our keynote speaker. We're gonna keep that secret for now though, and we'll tell we'll tell people afterwards who that mm-hmm. was. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, this will, and this will be our first conference where it's really a normal conference again, where we don't have to, uh, do all the testing ahead of time, like we did last time in 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so looking forward to it myself. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yep. I'll see you in person, uh, next week. All right. See you then. views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice, and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investments, objectives, financial circumstances, or general needs of any individual, organization, or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect any fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Canadian Investment Regulatory Organization.